Hello, and welcome to the United MEC Leading Edge podcast. Today, we continue our new series called Piloting Your Mind. I'm the United MEC spokesman, Captain James Belton. Today's episode will focus on mental resilience and mindfulness. We are here with our SOAR PSP chairman, Captain Lynn Tatum, and experts from United's Human Factors and Pilot Development Team, Sean Handlovich and Rob Strickland. Lynn, during our last podcast, you introduced mindfulness and resilience. Sean joins us today with Rob. Uh, what do we have in store for today? Thanks, Jim. You're right. In our first podcast, we did introduce the importance of resilience and mindfulness. Now we're going to further define these things and introduce some techniques that might be helpful to the pilots and their families during this situ situation that we're still finding ourselves in. This week's episode is going to show us how the Human Factors team implements resilience training at our programs at the training center. These professionals that you're going to listen to will use these skills and uh, they'll show how it makes it easier for us when we apply them in personal situations. Lynn, that sounds like a whole new level of training. Uh, Rob, can you introduce yourself and uh, tell us how you're implementing this resilience and mindfulness training at our training center? Sure, Jim. And thanks for having me. Everybody out there listening, thanks for tuning in. So I am Rob Strickland. I'm the Senior Manager of Human Factors and Pilot Development. I graduated from the Air Force Academy with a degree in Human Factors. In fact, I graduated with uh, Jack Barker back in 1980, who um, some of you may recognize as the MEC Training Committee Chairman. He's a good friend of mine. So I spent about five years in Grand Force, North Dakota as a KC-135 navigator guarding the border against uh, Canadians. And um, then I had the privilege of going back to the Air Force Academy and teaching aviation uh, leadership and also uh, coached the boxing team to three national championships. As if that weren't the greatest job in the world, I had the opportunity to come to United Airlines and work on the launch team for the 777. I worked directly with Boeing to deliver the first airline modifiable electronic checklist. That 777 is still my baby. I also had an opportunity on the side to develop a human performance and sports performance business. I worked with professional athletes, football players, college ball players, cage fighters, firefighters. I trained FBI agents and then um, transitioned into training CEOs, all who came to me with one thing in mind. I need to be my best when it counts. So here at the um, Flight Training Center, We've chosen to use mindfulness training in order to implement resilience into our training programs. Although there are several different ways to implement resilience, mindfulness is a way of focusing on the present moment in order to bring your top performance to professional and personal uh, critical situations. Our new hires get an opportunity to learn these resilience skills also, we make it available to pilots who struggle with checkitis, if you will, and even pilots who've struggled in the line operation. We provide these tools to help them overcome and bring their best performance when it counts. In fact, in the future revision of the CRM reference manuals coming out on the 15th of July, we're gonna include a chapter on resilience training. We think it's that important to our human factors programs. So that's a shameless plug for our CRM reference manual. 
So uh, Rob, right now there seems to be plenty of events out there that uh, you know are emotional and difficult for us all to control. Um, you know, I think pilots are really good at managing and compartmentalizing most of our emotions, but we sure do need to take a break from the pressure, even the best pilots. Um, you know, we have, a high we have a requirement for high performance on the flight deck, and you, there's a big swing from that work performance to juggling your motions. It's pretty significant. So I think it's really essential that pilots have these skills, not only to deal with the cockpit and those demands, but also to just handle our stress. Yeah. You know, Lynn, I just want to jump in because, yes, our pilots need to handle stress in the flight deck, like you said. And then when you come out of the flight deck, you've also had stresses. So it's coming from both directions. A lot of people, when they get to go to work, they get to get away from those stress. Um, but for you, it's a challenge. And also the family members of pilots. There's also that impact of stress and the mental resilience that's necessary at home, too. There has to be this balance at work and the way that your well-being is at home. I think it's very helpful that um, managing these stressful overloads per se. Um, it impacts your lack of sleep. It's going to impact anxiety, racing thoughts, depression. Uh, and depending on the duration of these heightened stressful times, it results in PTSD. It's hypervigilance is another way to know that as. But family members can struggle with the same thing. As pilots, you're away from home, leaving your spouse or your family members to deal with things without you. And then coming back and that adjustment to you now being back there impacts them as well as it's impacting you. Um, working with our first responders, some of them have told me that it can take them up to 48 hours to get grounded again at home after a 72-hour shift, depending on the severity of the calls that they had to go out on. And while their family members learn to adapt to this, that's no way for a family to have to live, no matter how much you love your firefighter or your pilot. Um, having this deliberate awareness for each other allows you to open up that communication. It's huge. What's going on for you at work and what's going on at home allows that collaboration and for you to connect again with one another. Um, again, this is all deliberate and intentional. Sean, I can uh, certainly see exactly how that is a vital part of our training uh, as a 27-year Air Force pilot, 30-year airline pilot, coming home and winding down was uh, was something that I had to do to make sure that uh, we were going to maintain sanity, not only in myself, but in my family. Now, Rob, are there other additional tools that you're using to help pilots during training events? Absolutely, Jim. Um, I'm pretty excited about a recent addition that we've uh, included for our instructors and evaluators. We partnered with uh, newer psychologists to um, create a flowchart. It's called Shall I Worry? And um, it's designed to give our instructors insight into the emotional and cognitive distractions that may be impacting a pilot's ability to train so they can recommend the appropriate interventions, especially when they get to the point where they recognize that yet another additional training sim period doesn't serve the immediate needs of the pilot and is not really the most caring approach. We also have a acronym that we deliver to our pilots which is called FOCUS. It's designed to help pilots get lightning fast 
presence in the moment in order to be able to deal with, um, you know, a, an event that was unexpected or, or surprise event. So in that acronym FOCUS, F stands for feel. And it encouraged pilots to just be tactile with what they feel in their hands, if they're hand flying or what they feel with their feet planted flat on the floor. That's the primary way to become present in the moment is that through that tactile physical feeling. The O is observe your breathing. And it's as simple as that. Just observe it. And then control your breathing. The next step is to unite across the flight deck. Either do that by making eye contact with your flying partner or, or just call in his or her name. Hey, Jim, are you with me? Then let's speak what we see. Talk about exactly what's happening in terms of air speeds and altitudes. Rather than talk about what should happen, speak exactly what you have available to you. That's a, um, a nice acronym, and we know pilots love acronyms, and we think that's, that helps deliver the concept of mindfulness. It's something that pilots do all the time naturally, but this brings it more top of mind so that we're able to be intentional about being mindful. Last time we talked a little bit about the importance of awareness of breath to mindfulness. Sean talked about the reset breathing, and we've seen this happen when uh, for example, a baseball player comes up top of the ninth, two outs, bases are loaded, tie game, and he takes this nice, deep, deliberate breath and relaxes in order to get in the moment, not think about what's going to happen if I strike out, what did I do last time, present in the moment. It's not rocket science, but it's something we, we need to be more aware of that's available to us when we need to bring our greatest performance. We also talked about the tactical breathing. Tactical breathing, which was adopted from the military, is very simple, where you take a four count breath in, then hold it for four counts, and then you exhale for four, and then you hold that for four. Now, the act of deliberately counting that breath helps transition from the amygdala, the the back part of the brain up to the executive portion of the brain so that you can really start to think again. That's why the tactical breath is so effective in getting you into the moment and having you be present to what's available to you so that you can perform. We recommend our pilots do this prior to going in for a important sim event or even do it prior to pushback during your regular operations. Just take, a time, take it some time to do a tactical breath. And then in your home life, before you have that crucial conversation with your spouse or your kids, doing that tactical breath may help you formulate your words in a way that uh, moves you forward. John, do you have anything to add on that? I appreciate the, the pointing out the crucial conversations at home. Um, you know, with that tactical breathing and the, the four count, uh, there's something about the cognitive brain and the numbers of counting that really brings you into the present moment. And the emotional part kind of has to subside. Uh, Rob, when you're talking about the amygdala, the back part of the brain, um, the front part and the back part really can't um, be carrying on at the same time. Uh, so when I'm working with some of my clients who have young children um, and they're getting really upset and they're throwing their fits, and I know as a parent, I would say, you know, I'm going to count to three and you're going to settle down. But what we learned is if you ask the kids to count, 
uh, they can't be in that state of emotion and in that place of, you know, uh, trying to count. So there's a lot of science behind not just connecting our body and our mind through the breath, but connecting the body and the mind through the counting as well, just really brings us into that moment. So yeah, that is good stuff. That is certainly a, an interesting perspective. Uh, it's probably proper to remember that pilots are people, even though we like to think of ourselves as superhuman. Um, we are people. Now, I understand that the EASA, the European equivalent of the FAA, now requires resilience training for all pilots under their jurisdiction. I imagine there are examples of aviation incidences where resilience was a factor. Rob, can you speak to that a little bit? Of course, Jim. You know, our Portland accident precipitated CRM and it moved us all forward. You can see if you track aviation incidents and accidents over the years since we implemented CRM, you see that curve coming down closer and closer to zero. I think the holy grail that we're, we've still yet to attain is that resilience piece. And there are a couple of accidents. Um, Air France 447 is one that um, if had we provided resilience tools and techniques for those pilots who evidence indicates that they brought some personal stressors to the flight deck. And then you layer on top of that an in-flight anomaly that many um, rarely see in their career. Now you have to have the cognitive bandwidth to deal with that on top of the other things that you've been dealing with mentally. Had we been able to provide resilience training to them, perhaps that might have helped that crew be more successful. And there are some other examples like that, and that's why we're so passionate about delivering resilience skills and tools to all of our pilots. United Airlines back in 1978 had an accident that uh, we were all trained about. It's the uh, DC-8 that uh, had a, a gear issue and, and ran out of fuel. That was the start of cockpit resource management or crew resource management. We, we've had several acronyms in uh, over the years with that training. And we'll probably see this mindfulness and resilience reach that level as we go forward, which is great. But is the FAA mandating this resilience training like the Europeans? Not at this time. And they have really no intention of doing it in the near future. Although um, just recently I spoke with Kathy Abbott from the FAA and they are um, extremely uh, excited about the fact that we are taking this on organically and then we have buy-in from the association. I've spoken with uh, um, several other human factors experts from other airlines, and they are interested in pursuing the um, potential that's related to resilience training. So I feel that it's very encouraging that we don't really need to be mandated by the FAA to go forward. We see the potential to help our pilots by delivering this additional um, skill set and we're passionate about doing that. So um, I'd like to speak up here, Rob or Tashan, um, from the SOAR standpoint, how would resilience or some of these techniques you've talked about apply to somebody who is struggling with a loss due to a tragic issue or, or maybe grief to include, you know, even some of our career uh, disadvantages right now, um, everything from marriage to career changes. How can we use some of these mindful exercises and how can that parallel to what you've just already talked about and could you further explain a little bit on the definitions of these so we get it right in our head first i'd like to um, emphasize that uh, the should i worry document that i mentioned earlier 
has direct connectivity to SOAR, enhanced CRM, EAP, and it gives our instructors and evaluators an opportunity to look for observable behaviors in their pilots during the training session and determine this is outside of my swim lane. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I know that there are some other resources that might be available for this pilot, and I need to intervene as soon as possible so that we can provide the uh, appropriate connectivity to the experts. And uh, SOAR is right at the top of that list. From a mindfulness standpoint, Sean talked last time about metacognition, which is a real fancy word for just being aware of what you're thinking about thinking about what you're thinking about, and then being able to take your attention, which is foundational to learning and performance, picking it up and actively moving it to where you want it to go. Our attention is kind of like a child. It sometimes runs amok and wants to do what it wants to do. But without judgment, we go and get that child and bring him or her back to where um, the, they're safe and where they can be most effective. So metacognition can help our pilots in understanding why they're thinking about what they're thinking about and then moving their attention to something that serves them in the moment. Just tag on if you don't mind real quick, Jim. Um, sure. I was just going to say specifically to what you're talking about, Lynn, of course, you know, we hate for anybody to be going through tragic loss, you know, divorces, all of that. And on top of a stressful career, um, going with what Rob's saying, that metacognition of thinking about what you're thinking about, but it's also recognizing the emotional response that you're having. And without judgment is one thing that we say, but recognizing what is judgment I think of uh, Goldilocks and how it's just right, um, but it's too hard, it's too soft, it's too hot, it's too cold. It's when we remove that. And in those moments, um, my marriage is dissolving. That's a fact of what's happening, but how you're responding in the moment and how it serves the moment is where mindfulness practice, you're becoming more and more aware of what am I thinking and how does it make me feel and how is it going to help in this moment? Rob, uh, and, and certainly uh, Lynn would understand this, pilots are very good at reading gauges, following checklists, having something that's very concrete in front of them. So talk a little bit about why we would be interested in a, uh, I don't want to say a nebulous resilience training or mindfulness, but how do you tie that into something with a little bit more concrete for a pilot's mind? Mindfulness has been shown in over 2,000 different independent studies to increase a user's ability to make decisions, to become present. It enhances situation awareness. It enhances the ability to follow procedures. And it also, and this is, this is the part that I'm most excited about, it enhances a pilot's ability to perform when there aren't any SOP, there's no checklist, there are no drills, you haven't been trained, but you have the mental agility to bounce out of what you typically think you know in a situation but doesn't necessarily apply and then create on the fly what serves you in the moment. The, uh, the Army defines uh, resilience in a particular way. I believe you had a, uh, a reference to that, Rob. Do you want to talk about that? The U.S. Army defines resilience as the ability to cope with adversity, adapt to change, and grow from setbacks. I think that's a quality that we can all benefit from in our personal as well as our professional lives. 
It's akin to mental toughness, which I believe is the highest metacognitive state and a quality, quite frankly, I think uh, due to high reliability of our automation systems on the flight deck that our flight crews may be losing. So if you're less resilient, you're more likely to dwell on problems, feel overwhelmed, use unhealthy coping mechanisms and tactics to handle stress, develop anxiety and despair. You choose to feel the negative emotions of something that hasn't even happened yet, or perhaps something that has long since been over. On the other hand, resilient people adapt well and recover quickly from stress, adversity, and change. Pilots who practice mindfulness report a greater sense of calm in situations where others may feel hopeless or helpless. They also notice an overall sense of self and situation awareness, a greater capacity to confidently bounce out of any obstructive thinking patterns and a higher aptitude for handling unforeseen events where there's no checklist, as I mentioned earlier. Many pilots may not even realize that we have a separate human factors department, one that uh, Rob and, and Sean, you guys both work in. How does human factors apply in our current training? When I go out to a, uh, a training event, it's usually me and my instructors. Um, you guys really work behind the scenes, but you have a training uh, influence. Can you talk uh, some more about that? Absolutely. We do primarily coordinate with flight standards to ensure that uh, CRM, which is a subset of human factors, is embedded into all of our procedures and our standards and um, performance criteria. We also partner with flight safety, in-flight, dispatch, airport ops, and even United Medical in support of the line pilot. Since 2018, and based on a 2016 study that I am really stoked about, we've been working more diligently to address broader human factors issues in training that support our pilots on the flight deck. More specifically, we want to advance the opportunity to have on-the-spot mindfulness training. Now, some people who are familiar with mindfulness may recognize that it's a lifestyle and it's an ongoing way of being but there's also evidence that indicates that on-the-spot, one-time interventions with mindfulness can help create greater situation and self-awareness in pilots that increases their effectiveness in a variety of situations and with a variety of people. So back to that um, subject of mindfulness, I know that many professional athletes use varied techniques to compete at the highest levels. Uh, even Mike Tyson said that uh, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. Now, I, I as a, a, a fighter pilot, I know I used probably, uh, not knowingly, but I used mindfulness techniques to stay in the moment and prevent errors and distractions in combat from snowballing. So how does this training help our airline pilots professionally? Well, I love that reference to Mike Tyson. As you know, I, I love boxing, and I, uh, I spent a lot of time training uh, boxers. And one of my favorite fighters was uh, Muhammad Ali. Some of you on the call are probably too young to remember the rumble in the jungle where Muhammad Ali went in with a plan to float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, but George Foreman had a, a different idea and wasn't going to let – Muhammad Ali float anywhere and sting anything. So Muhammad Ali's vision remained the same, but he had to change on the fly. He had to adapt. So he went from floating to the rope-a-dope. And I'm sure many of you have heard that uh, reference where um, he just waited until his opportunity 
to uh, to come back and, and complete his mission. So there's a there's an increased body of knowledge that um, indicates that mindfulness practice, such as meditation exercises, can lead to what we call neuroplasticity, the ability for our brains to change and adapt uh, on the fly, and then even greater over a, uh, a longer period of time and uh, exercise. This helps to dampen down the stress response while strengthening the brain circuits and actually making the brain um, feel and respond as a younger brain would. And I think we can all be, become very excited about that possibility. The better we are at focusing on our attention and focusing our attention to where it should be, the better we become at disengaging from operating in autopilot mode. Can you imagine if Muhammad Ali had stayed with his original plan versus being able to shift out of that plan into something that served him in the moment? Um, better we get at doing that, better we are at creating cognitive pathways that serve us when there's a, a black swan event, some event that we weren't anticipating that no one has ever even thought of before uh, comes at us and we're able to adapt and come up with something that serves us in the moment. You know, in this, um, and jump in here real quick, Rob, this also works like overall for everyone, um, not just athletes, not just uh, pilots and peak performers, but as human beings were put in this place where we're increasingly um, feeling this need to multitask, uh, multitasking, multitasking actually came from the early 80s when we had computers and we went from DOS, and again, to Rob's point, there's probably people on this call that may not, but went from DOS where a computer could only do one thing at a time that we were actually able to add a processor that allowed it to multitask. Now all of a sudden we all put it on our, on our resumes that we could multitask. Multitasking really is just working from the muscle memory. I'm used to brushing my teeth while I'm checking my email. I'm used to turning on the blinker while I'm pressing the, uh, the brake. These are not things that we had to think about the whole time we're doing them. We're able to multitask. But in this world that we're in right now, we're requiring ourselves to do multiple things at once by compartmentalizing these these tasks that we have to do and recognizing getting the little things done. I've heard people say, I sweat the small stuff, especially like fighter pilots. pilots. You want to compartmentalize and take care of what you need to take care of. And again, it goes right back to that mindful practice of being present in the moment with what's actually happening instead of trying to do multiple things all at once. Being present right here, right now with that one thing. That, uh, that sounds a lot like uh, how we run a checklist and uh, we run that checklist in our minds um, and we do that uh, naturally as pilots. And it sounds like there are many benefits to applying these mindful techniques that you've mentioned here today. Rob, can you close with information or concerns about physical applications or medical concerns that weren't using resiliency? Yes, Jim. Um, mindfulness practice is guided by the premise that even if people are dealing with uh, major problems, there's likely more that's going okay with them, more that's going right than there is going wrong. So connecting in the present moment can help people feel, just feel better by directing their attention away from the past or a, um, a catastrophized future to the present moment when things are, are actually okay right now. And that's really what it's all about is being able to 
control those emotions, uh, rein those in so that we're able to um, have a higher quality of life on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's just keep it simple. You know, and here's a really good news that I hope that uh, you all hear in this space. And that's that, you know, pain is inevitable, but suffering, it's optional. The recent studies show that a single session, just a single session of mindfulness, can immediately change one's emotional state and reduce the sensitivity to negative situations. As I mentioned earlier, there have been over 2,000 studies that um, verify that resilience is a path that we need to be on. Our challenge is to make sure we meet pilots where they are. There's going to be different levels of um, interest and adoption of these concepts, and we get that. But I, I do think that there's a way for us to reach out if we do it carefully and intentionally reach out and have it become valuable for all of our pilots. So thank you for having us on. I guess you could uh, be safe in saying that our efforts today with this podcast is all part and parcel of the uh, mindfulness and resilience. Now, Lynn, what's in store for the next episode in the series? Jim, first of all, I'd like to thank um, Rob and Sean for bringing to light all the nuances of resilience training. It's, it's really neat, and it's really great how it all overlaps. The next episode, we're going to have Dr. Quay Snyder, the CEO of AMAS, um, Aviation Medical Advisory Service, and Travis Ludwig, who's a United pilot and also our chairman of their medical committee. Um, they're going to be our guests. And Dr. Snyder, he's going to talk about the effects of stress that pilots have in their job, their careers, how we navigate that. And Travis um, is going to give us a personal testimony of how he uses mindfulness. He is a, a follower of these practices and is going to talk about how it helped him. And we're going to try to tag onto that some, some actual tips and techniques that Sean's going to come up with uh, for us so that pilots, if they want to, can try them on their own. That should be certainly very insightful. Uh, for those of you listening, thank you for tuning into the United Leading Edge podcast, Piloting Your Mind series. And on behalf of the United MEC and all of our ALPA volunteers, fly safe and stay healthy. I'm James Belton.